Hey, it's Ari Shafir. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Visit us anytime at youtube.com forward slash yuck yucks to watch stand-up comedy clips of some of your favorite comedians. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. This is your host, Jake Hirsch. Thank you for joining me on the show. Uh, if I sound a little different, a little weird, uh, it is because I am broadcasting from San Antonio, and I did not bring a high-end microphone with me, so I'm using my uh, my earpiece from my iPhone. Uh, or, sorry, my uh, my little, my little uh, wired microphone from my iPhone headphones. So, yeah, it sounds like I'm in a trash can, but I'm not, uh, Hey, uh, great show today, folks. We've got uh, a fantastic show lined up for you. Before we get into that, of course, you're going to listen to me yimmer and yammer on for about uh, five minutes. Um, I am in Texas, as I mentioned, down in San Antonio this week. What a beautiful place. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, another great story, uh, for the road for you. You know, it's, there's no, I'm not, it's not a story on the road about Texas, but, uh, this past week, we did a uh, fantastic show out in Picture Butte. Uh, and you know what? There's nothing like being on the road with a bunch of comedians. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you guys are great to travel with. Very fun. Always good conversation. Um, I've been on a handful of road trips now uh, with comedians, not just uh, for my shows, but of course, uh, you know, back in the day doing some comedy myself. And every time, it was an adventure. It was a lot of fun. And it feels like uh, it's just like you and your buddies all going out on a road trip and, you know, just bullshitting and, and laughing and, and telling jokes and stuff like that. I mean, it would probably suck, I would imagine, being on the road with someone you don't like. And you probably, you know, just nod your head and agree to things you don't necessarily agree with just because you're like, you know, I just don't want to argue with this person. <laughs> you just, yeah, have you ever done that? You just kind of placated somebody. You're just like, they're like, oh, yeah, man, so-and-so is an asshole. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You don't necessarily agree. You're just you just kind of like, yeah, it's easier if I just agree with the per, You know, just if I just go along with this. I want to sit there and argue with you. Thank God I haven't been in those situations yet. But I would imagine that uh, it would be very painful to do that for, like, if you guys are, like, on a six-hour road trip. That would suck. That would hands down suck. Um, but yes, uh, on the road, uh, and, and it was just for a small drive, uh, picture Butte, two and a half hours away, two hours. And it was fantastic. We had a great show, great time. Um, and, uh, of course, conversation on the road was, was fantastic. It, it was funny. It was engaging. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. And I, you know, I've gotten some great feedback just from comics on the, on the podcast. Uh, you know, people just, uh, just randomly saying, "Hey, man, I you know I listen to this show, I listen to that show," and and that's you know that's a that's a big it's uh, a big feather in my cap, of course. But um, yeah, listening to people uh, say that they listen to the show is a, is a great thing, and and uh, and and just you know hearing that feedback and and them saying that they like it and they love listening to it, and you know I get some emails once in a while from people as well out there, listeners, the guys, thank you so much again for all the support. This has uh, really become a Canadian institution in comedy. Um, is that, is that a little, is that a little uh, conceited for me to say that? 
I don't think so. I mean, really, if you look at uh, the amount of comedy interviews that are being done across Canada, I think you got Graham Clark's podcast, um, Stop Podcasting Yourself, is really, I think, the World Series of Canadian comedy interviews. Uh, and Yikex is definitely up there. I, I think this podcast, we've hit a lot of amazing Canadian comics, great talents, and uh, I'm glad that we got a really solid listening. Uh, listenership to it rather. Uh, so yes, Texas this week, it is beautiful down here. Um, I literally just returned an email to, uh, Angie over at, uh, as you guys all know, Angie, the wonderful, uh, owner over at, uh, the Calgary Yuck Yucks club. And we were talking about our mutual love for Texas and how much she loves San Antonio and how much history there is here. And I tell you, just being down here, uh, in t-shirt weather and shorts and, uh, it's just been, it's been a fantastic trip so far. And I've only, this is like day two and yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing town. I, and I haven't even seen half of it. I'm sure there's the other half. Um, I need to go check out, but, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic place. The food is definitely something that you would put on about 10 pounds. Just coming to Texas period. The food, I don't know what it is. The States has the best they just have it on lock. They just, they know how to eat down here. Maybe that speaks to the obesity problem, but they know how to eat and they know how to freaking drink because beers are cheap. Alcohol is cheap. Food is cheap and it's damn good. And, uh, I don't know why we can't do that in Canada. Maybe they do that for a reason. Maybe that is the, you know, they want to look out for us. Maybe, maybe I should appreciate that, that I can't go somewhere and eat four pounds. It's like you're a, it's like you're a horse. You just put your head in the trough and eat. It's really good though. We went to the cheesecake factory last night. My girlfriend and I went there and we ate and we had a piece of cheesecake. Of course you can't, you can't go anywhere. You can't leave that place without a piece of cheesecake. It's fantastic. So unreal. Anyway, folks, I'm not going to sit here and bore you. I've just started to realize I sound like the guy I've been listening to this other podcast called, um, Oh man, I'm gonna have to pull it up now. I know this is really professional of me to say this, but uh, as I'm doing my podcast, I'm looking up someone else's podcast. Um, it's called uh, "Sleep with Me," <laughs> "Sleep with Me" podcast, uh, and it helps you fall asleep. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're gonna get on with the podcast right now. Today's guest, folks, the very funny, very talented Mr. Steve Byrne. He is uh, an absolute killer comedian out of Los Angeles. Of course. Uh, you uh, might recognize him from his TV show that he had on, um, on I think it was TBS, and uh, a very, very long-running show. And, uh, of course, uh, he's had numerous specials, and we talk all about it. And he got to come up uh, as well. His, he brought his opener up here with him, Gareth Reynolds. He's going to be on the podcast next week. Fantastic interview. And today, as well, is no different. Steve Byrne uh, is definitely a fantastic talent and a great interview. And here he is, folks, Mr. Steve Byrne. Man, I appreciate it. Great intro there, huh? Yeah. No. All-star intro. Uh, so you're up from L.A. for the weekend doing the Calgary Club. Uh, you've done Calgary before. I was here maybe two years ago. Two three, years ago. Two That's years right. ago. Maybe three years ago. I don't know. Uh, I just remember this is the second club I made somebody shit their pants <laughs> in 18 years. So <laughs> it definitely... It's definitely a highlighted <laughs> club for me on the resume. Yeah, it stands yeah. out for sure. Yeah, pretty excited about that. 
So uh, let's start back at the beginning, man. Um, you got a great, I mean, legendary in comedy, man. You got some great, great, uh, you got some great credits. Uh, been around, done a ton of stuff, uh, TV, uh, everything. Um, but you started off uh, out in the East Coast of the States, right? Yeah, I started off in New York City. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I finished college and I told my folks were living in New York City at the time. My father's originally from Manhattan. Right. And he said, uh, I said, look, I'm, I'm done with school. I'm thinking of going to California, but can I experience New York City? Can I crash on your couch for like a month or two and just experience New York? He said, of course. So I got my garage, I got my diploma from Kent State, mm-hmm. got my car, drove to New York City. And the first day, I remember I got in at like 10 in the morning. I said, I'm not coming home till I get a job. I started at 96 in Broadway and walked my way down to every restaurant, any shop that looks like I could get a job there. You know, I'm not stopping at... <laughs> Merrill Lynch or National right, Geographic or right. CNN or anything. <laughs> right. Going to restaurants and I uh, walked into Caroline's Comedy Club. And I walk in, I say, hey, I'm looking for a job. The manager happened to be standing there. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, I'll do anything. He goes, fill this out and come back tomorrow. And that was it. Holy shit. So I got a job at Caroline's Comedy Club. I was sweeping the floors, answering the phones. And I saw these. Th- they used to have this thing called the New Talent Showcase on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I saw these like people my age doing stand-up right and the room was packed and i was like fuck that looks great that yeah. looks like an absolute blast i want to try that out so it took me like four months to build up the nerve and courage and jokes which were look if you think my jokes suck now <laughs> fuck <laughs> garbage <laughs> garbage back then and not even in the recycling like no way. don't it walk past the trash can where's the incinerator <laughs> fucking awful <laughs> I don't stand by any of my jokes <laughs> the first five five minutes that I ever had. So I Oh man. I went up at New York Comedy Club. No, no, no. Stand up New York was the first set I ever did. And it went well enough right. to in, to feel encouraged to do it a second time. The second time I did it at New York Comedy Club, this guy Roger Paul, who was this booker along the East Coast, was there. As soon as I walk off stage, he comes up. He goes, hey, you got to call me. Gives me his card. I'm like, all right. He's like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, this is my second time. He's like, second Holy time? Shit. Come meet with me. I met him, I think, two days later. And I started kind of working pretty quickly out of the gate. So it was wow. all real, like, the folk, the fact that my folks just happened to move there. Right. The fact that they enabled me to crash with them. The fact that. You know, for some reason, over the course of 40 blocks, Caroline's was the one I walked into and gave wow. me a job. Had I, you know, worked at the Brooklyn Diner, maybe I'd be an executive chef. <laughs> now, but I don't know. It just all kind of But that's out. fate, man. That's unbelievable. I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, you don't know it at the time, but when you're when you're doing it, it's you're just so hell-bent on pursuing it and going after it. But, uh, yeah, years now in retrospect, I think that there are people out there that are pursuing or chasing a fate. Right. And I think other times fate absolutely does find you, and fate definitely, definitely found me. What were you like growing up, though? I mean, like, were you were you the class clown? Were you always were you were you always like written word, hilarious, um, acting out type of not stuff? Not really. When I was younger, I grew up in Jersey, New Jersey. I was born there, mm-hmm. and I'm just a normal kid. I'm, you know, I I, <laughs> I would mouth off to teachers and stuff. I remember this one teacher's like, "You want to be a clown? Then join the circus." I'm like. <laughs> I always remember that, but uh, yeah. And then I moved to 
I moved to Pittsburgh when I was pretty young, maybe nine or ten. Right. And I just thought, boy, I'm really uncomfortable here. Right. But for some reason, making people laugh was like a self-defense mechanism. Sure. And it made me, it, it, you know, it garnered me some friends kind of out of the gate. So right. I was, right. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll just make people laugh. And, and you know, high school, you're the class clown and stuff. But you right. never think that. In a, look, I'd never been to a comedy show in my life. I'd never been to a stand-up show. I never. You know, when I was young, everybody was passing around Dice Clay or Eddie Murphy raw cassette tapes. Right, right. And I never got into it. I was just always in a hockey and, yeah. you know, just goofing off and not thinking about anything like that. And I don't know. Once I saw it, that's when I was like, fuck, that's, I meant that's to it. This. Yeah. This is it. You, you have a reputation in the New York scene as being one of the hardest working comedians. You started off hitting, like, legendary every open mic you could. You were you were running quite a bit shows every night and stuff like that. That seems to be quite the culture in New York. I've interviewed a lot of comics over there, uh, guys like you know Aaron Berg and Liz Mealy, Mark DeMeo, all those guys. And it's always like, oh, I've got three shows tonight, four shows tonight. Yeah. And it's just a constant grind. Was that your experience when you were there for that time? Like, was it constant well, hustle? It was always a hustle because it was there to be taken. Mm-hmm. It's like. Well, why do two sets if I could do four? Why do four sets if I could do eight? Right. Why do eight sets if I could do 12 or 13, which is what I did that one night. I did 13 in one night, and I think the record was, I think, 12 by Atel at the time. But it doesn't matter. It's just like it was all there, so why not go for it? And for me at the time, I was obsessed with getting up. I wasn't obsessed with writing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but it just took time for me to get to the point where I knew how to write for myself. Some people takes four years some people takes 10 it takes 10 years to become an overnight name and stand-up but for me i think it took 12 years for me to actually figure it all out but when i was in new york new york was the girl i wanted to date right essentially i couldn't stop thinking about her i had to see her every night once wasn't enough and as soon as she left me at 2 or two thirty in the morning at the comedy cellar i couldn't wait to see her again the next day gotcha so that's just the way it was for me for seven years in new york city i just grinded it to the halt and then that's when i moved to la take me through that some of the transition pieces what was the motivation for you to go to la i know there's a lot of people that they want to gravitate either to two markets it's either la or Mm -hmm. new new york i've heard new york can really refine and make a comedian dynamite and la seems to be a bit more it's kind of where you go you flex the muscles a bit and kind of go out there and and people can check you out more yeah i always looked at it you know if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, anywhere you know, yeah. the old Sinatra song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, I saw a ceiling. A lot of the comics I looked up to who were great comics and still are would do the cellar and do one or two other clubs and make a few hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and they'd be on Letterman, or then they'd be going to the Miami Improv. Right. And that's kind of it. Yeah. I was like, well, these guys over in L.A., they're getting TV shows. They're doing movies. And I was like, I don't want to just do New York. I right. want it all. Right. I want everything. So I moved to L.A., and within a year or two, I started headlining clubs across the country. And um, that's when it kind of started. And I think, yeah, New York can refine you, but ultimately it's just about stage time. And the thing you don't get in New York is an hour. Right. You can do 15 minutes. Right. You can have a great 15 minutes that are killer. But 
you know, as a comic, you're going to be really respected if you can string it all together and right. do a rock solid hour. Yeah. And that's what my next goal was: is to just start, you know, doing great work in in these hour specials. For sure. Who was on the scene? Do you remember who was on the scene when you first got to Los Angeles? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guys I looked up to were, you know, Geraldo, Bill Burr. Bill Burr was Billy Burr at the time. Right. You know. Uh, a lot of the guys at the cellar, Norton, um, again, Geraldo, Colin Quinn, Patrice O'Neill, wow. the guys that kind of ran the cellar at the time, um, I definitely looked up to them because they were all very honest. Like, I saw Norton talk about, like, getting BJs from fucking trannies, and he's just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, we park our cars in two totally different garages, but, but I mean, the guy is... Being as honest as he can to himself. Right. He's being very true. He's being intelligent about what he's communicating. And he's being funny. Right. I mean, on top of all those jarring things, I mean, there's comics that come out of the gates that say some really, like, uncomfortable things, I think, for shock value. Sure. Whereas Norton was saying things, but there was no, like, shock to it. It was just like, well, no, that's, that's really my life. Here. <laughs> and this is a reality. And on top of that, I'm going to make you laugh. And I think it was just that... The combination of all those things is just like, fuck, if I could get to that point where I'm as honest as he is right. through my own life, then that's where I want to be. And he and Bill Burr were two people that really, really epitomized that mindset, to me at least, from an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and Burr was always one of my favorites uh, growing up in, in New York City. So right. I, I'm so glad to see... The ascension he's had and, and the um, attention he's had, definitely, because I've always thought he's one of the best comics working right yeah, now. Absolutely, man. He's so fa- fabulous. And it, the funny part, though, is that you talk to, and I've learned this about just being a fan of comedy, you talk to a lot of people, and they don't really know the background or the struggle or the history a lot of comics, a lot of you guys have. Like like when Louie came on the scene, I mean, people were like, oh, I've been watching his show for four or five years. And I'm like, he's been doing this for fucking 20 years. Like, this yeah. is, you guys have been grinding this out for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's <laughs> it's a, it, it's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody who's had, you know, my fourth hour's about to come out. Yeah. I had a sitcom on the air for three years. And I still feel like improving myself. Really? You know, it's just, it's never. You had incredible ratings on your show, man. Sullivan and Son. Yeah. I mean, two plus million viewers a week. It, it was incredible. What was that run like, man? Well, I mean, it's the greatest professional experience because it's, you know, when you get to pull into the Warner Brothers lot, you are literally doing what you dreamt about doing when you moved to California. Yeah. When you pack your <laughs> Saturn <laughs> and you <laughs> drive from New York City, <laughs> right? you know, 3,000 miles across the country and you're pulling over and sleeping at rest stops or taking a shower at the YMCA or going to college campuses and, you know, stringing along one-nighters and all those things that you did to suffer through and dream about that one day it's all going to be worth it. Then when you're actually doing it, it's like, fuck, this is it. This This is great. And you're working with veterans and comics and Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley, who are your friends. And, you know, it just it it was just an all-encompassing dream project to get to do and uh I, I just had a fucking blast doing it, it was absolutely three of the best years of, of my life, life absolutely yeah wow man that's incredible 
so inspirational too. Is that a forum that you're constantly vying to stay a part of? Are you are you always looking to get back into TV and into writing and doing all that type of stuff? Well, I think like once you've, you know, it's like once you ran your own business, once you're the owner of a successful <laughs> franchise, right? And it was on for three years. It's like, okay, I could go off and hope that somebody else hires me, mm-hmm. but. I kind of want to start over again. You right, know, it right. got taken away. It was three great years. I don't begrudge anybody for it. I don't have any, there's no sour grapes on my end. It's just mm-hmm. like, all right, it is what it is. It's part of the business. So put pen to paper right. and wait for, and, and try to create your next opportunity. So I'm about to go out and pitch this next thing that's taken me two, two years to, uh, to, to write and refine and get on top of and, um, you know, it's definitely going to be a much different show than what Sullivan and Son was. Because Sullivan and Son was just a traditional um, sitcom. It was it was very, very right down the middle. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Sure. Um, bar atmosphere. The, you know, the, the guys were my Greek choir, mm-hmm. Greek chorus. Uh, my parents were literally caricatures of my parents. And then Carol was... Uh, representative of sexuality so any right. sex jokes you could do through her uh brian Dole murray anything i would do that was racial would be uh, vented through it's him not, yeah. so it was kind of all an all facilitating thing and i was at the bar manning it and just kind of reacting to all these different facets initially of quote-unquote my stand-up right so it was right. set up in a very kind of cool way but yeah um the great thing about the great education about Sullivan was being in a writer's room for three years and becoming a writer mm-hmm. and it not only helped my stand-up but definitely helped me to write this feature I'm going to go out with and the new show that we're going to go out with. That's amazing, man. And, and, and you know what? It's, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that have been in the, in the TV business, the movie business and stuff like that. And, and uh, the one thing I've gathered from everybody is that there is such a constant yearning to learn every aspect of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you're working on a show. You're, you, know, you learn a little bit about directing or producing. You learn a little bit about writing and, and you know, show running and all that type of stuff. And, and like, is that important to you as well as to get a good understanding? Because I know like Louis, guys like that, and, and I mean even guys, excuse uh, me now, I was just reading an article about this guy, but uh, has kind of taken that model of like, well, I can kind of do it all myself now. I mean, like I, I can I can handle ticket sales on my website. I can handle producing content, whether it gets picked up or not. I can I know how to do all these things now. Right, right. Was that always like a motivation for you to learn all the aspects of the no. business? <laughs> no? <laughs> no. You were happy doing what, what you were doing? Yeah, I like being part of a team. I like being part of the cog. But I don't need an all-encompassing, I'm directing it, I'm writing it, I'm acting in it, I'm editing it, I'm shuttling it. No, I don't need all that shit. Right. It's just like, fuck, why? <laughs> I got two kids that I love and appreciate and a wife that I adore that I want to spend time with. It's sure. like, why am I going to be editing this? Kill, why don't kill I just, yourself on it, yeah. Yeah, why don't I just... It's, part of the fun of writing is great is because it's you're creating this jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. that is scrambled you have these little ideas of what this piece is what that piece is and slowly you start to kind of put it together and create this picture right for 30 minutes or or 90 minutes and that's that to me is fun is finding creating the puzzle right and putting the all. pieces but I, yeah i don't need all that shit that's fucking <laughs> got time for that exactly you got a fucking two million dollars why, why not spend it <laughs> have some some fun, fun, yeah. man. what did that do for your stand-up career having a having a show like that nothing really yeah Absolutely fucking nothing. Come on, man. I swear to God. Nothing. You weren't like, we're going to go fucking do theaters across the country no. after this? And no. I had a, you got I had a show on the air for three years, never got invited to JFL. What? Never. 
industry, nothing. How does that? No auditions. No, hey, come be part of the show. Fucking nothing. So it's just like, all right, um, I guess it's up to me. How does that? How does that work? I don't understand that. Well, ask system. them. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking no. I was just with the JLFL folks for the the, the Toronto showcase stuff last yeah. week. That's, they were too that's busy blowing the undateable guys. <laughs> Turn it up when I when I say that too. Who I love. I don't begrudge any of those guys for being on a show, or whatever. But yeah, I just yeah. felt like there was some. There was definitely. I, I look. I think it is a culture thing within the industry sure. to look down upon. Sitcoms, multicams. Right. right. And a multicam is essentially a show filmed in front of a live studio audience where you write jokes and the audience laughs at them. Right. Right? Yeah. So you write the joke, you execute it, they laugh, job well done. Mm-hmm. But there's all these chin stroking, clever comedies that are single cam. Right. That writers write these jokes and then they film it and they go, I think we got it. Mm-hmm. And then you watch it at home and you go, oh, that's funny. But you don't laugh. Right. So I think that the industry as a whole just got exhausted with the format years and years and years and years and years mm-hmm. of multicam that that the people that sit in a cubicle right. just want something different. Yeah. And I completely understand that. But yeah. when you're on a summer show and it's multicam and it's on TBS, I right. think there were a lot of knocks against us. But at the end of the day, it's just like, well, I don't give a fuck. I, you know. Yeah. Got a nice house out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. How important is it for you? We got a lot of young comedians that listen to this podcast. There's a lot Run. of people that <laughs> do not get in the industry. Uh, what type of things, I mean, like, like, take, for example, writing. I mean, like, there's obviously an evolution of, of when you first start out uh, and, and as to where you are as a professional comedian. Uh, are you the type of guy that has to be... Uh, structured every day. You got to sit down and make time to to write. Do you? No. Is it just observational? Do you write notes down on your phone when you see something that you want to write about? Well, there's some of that. I think like when you're, you know, when you do an hour, at least for me, the easiest way to do the hour is almost like writing a feature or a TV show mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you're right. writing. It is what is the story you're telling, and once right. you crack the story, then the jokes and everything else will come come to play it just becomes so much easier so for me i come up with a thesis what is it i'm trying to relay Mm -hmm. to the audience in this one so in like for example i think the best execution of it was the burn identity my second hour which is like who am i right when am i and you know i go to china and when you're in china you tell everybody you're american Mm -hmm. but then when you're in america you tell everybody you're korean and irish right and I was like, well, why the fuck don't I say I'm American? And it was an exploration of that and then sure. an exploration of identity and stereotypes and all these different aspects of looking at identity. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. And so this last one I just did that's coming out in 2017 was I have these two kids. I have this wife. And ultimately, when you're writing something that is going to be seen by anybody from 18 to 30 on Netflix or streaming service or whatever, right. it's like, how am I going to relate to them if I'm talking about I'm 42 now? Mm-hmm. And I'm, if the first joke out of the gates is I'm 42 and blah, 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 it's like if I'm 20, I'm going to change the channel. Right. But it's like if I'm talking to them via my kids and saying, here's some things I learned in my life that I'd like to pass down to you sure. and my children – then that's a fun way to get into it. And then the writing just kind of takes off. Right. So the story was, 
I've learned these things at 42. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's 42 can relate to the things I've learned. Sure. Why not pass that down to somebody much younger than myself right. and talk about how great it is to be 20, that these lessons are ahead of you? Right. And if you're, you know, four or five years old, then here are some things that I'd like to instill upon you. So it was right. just, it was, it was a really fun yeah. journey to take. And now I'm getting ready. Now that that one got acquired, it's like, now I got to start writing the fifth one. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, well, what's, what's you know i can write jokes sure. but it's like i'm not going to waste my time writing the jokes if they're not going to be used for something right if it just scattered which most hours are these right. days it's just right. like i'm gonna talk about airplanes and i went to walmart the other day and my grandma's fucking nuts it's right. like what the <laughs> fuck is going on did you are, it's like comedy watching comedy as somebody's falling down the steps it right. just doesn't make any All sense so place. i'm yeah. trying to streamline them and i think i've locked down my new thesis so nice nice yeah. man uh, do you find your comedy resonates uh, when you travel across the country? You travel internationally. Do you have to change anything around? <sighs> internationally, I don't travel, um, so I just pretty much stay in the states. So it's a lot easier. But I'm not somebody who's going to, you know, <laughs> cater and pander to Hollywood and New right. York. It's like there's a whole slew of other people out there, and I believe I talk like how real people talk. I talk. How the everyday average American talks, right. and you know, the, the right now, like in comedy, for some reason, the folks that are being celebrated are these privileged kids that that have these platforms as stand-ups that are preaching a life that all these young kids in the states are looking up to. Going, right. oh, they got it. It's just like. You're listening to a bunch of rich fucks that never had to struggle, but right. for some reason the industry thinks they're cool because they or their friends went to Ivy League schools. I mean, all the shows their friends fucking wrote at Harvard or right. whatever or these or yeah, it's just like it's the same rich lot right. dispelling comedy right, right. now, right. and everybody's gravitating towards it, going, "That's the fucking shit." It's like that's not it, you know. <laughs> right. You need to talk to people that talk. Like everyday people. So, right. you know, look, did they earn their keep? Did they earn their show? I'm sure that they worked hard, mm-hmm. but I know this for a fucking fact. I worked a hundred times harder. Right. When I lived in New York City, I paid my rent. Right. I didn't have my parents send a check to pay for my fucking rent. Sure. I got dirt underneath my fingernails. Everything I got, I earned. Right. All the hours, they were never produced by Comedy Central. Right. They were never produced by Netflix. I just did it. Right. You know, so there is this weird kind of like tangent line via this person that begets that person and they're all connected. Right. And I'm just not part of that click and I'm glad I'm not part of that click. Yeah. I'm glad I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. And I know it's a marathon, so I'm just waiting You're and good. I got a few aces up my sleeve. So, yeah. yeah. But does, it it, does, does that cheapen the art for you at all? Like just to see that. To see that the people are gravitating towards the wrong entities in, inside the, the in industry? No, I don't. Look, I don't begrudge any. This job, if you're going to sign up for this, it is fucking awful. <laughs> it is an awful <laughs> occupation. It's the greatest occupation, but it's the worst. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult. And so anybody that gets some semblance of notoriety or success, I absolutely applaud. Right. But when you peel back the curtain mm-hmm. and really get beyond the nitty-gritty, just do a little research. You'll see, ah, yeah. oh, well, hold on a second. Did they really, how, how tough was their struggle? Right. It's like, 
I don't know. I, like I could go on, and it's not. It's not saying these things out of resentment or sure. like, well, if I was rich, I'd be making. No, it's just like, it, no, it's just like, I think you're, I think you're teed up a little easier, right? When you come off of it that way, sure. And just like you just have to, the front door isn't open for you. You you just got to find a way yeah. through the weeds and the shrubs and the barking dog to get in through the back door right. to finally make your way to the living room, and that's fine. So for anybody that got in the front door, great. Yeah, I'll tune in. I'll tweet out. I'll retweet. I'll support you. Sure, but uh, you know, for me, it's just, just, just about the different work. path, man. Yeah, <laughs> just about the work. Where can people find you? And what do you? Before we get into that, uh, what do you got going next? I know you're working. Obviously, you said on the fifth hour, and and uh, and and where where can people find you? What what's up next for you? Well, everything I have is Steve Burn Live website. Facebook, Twitter, all that shit. Perfect. What you got to do these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's a grind right there. Just eating soup. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but I have this new special coming out in 2017. We're going to announce what platform it's going to be on. I'm, I'm really excited for it because it's the best. It's definitely the best work I've done. Awesome. I'm super pumped about it. And then uh, got the show we're pitching. Got this feature we're pitching. And, again, I'm going out with uh, the crew at Wild West, Vince Vaughn's company. Oh, so I'm really excited to be working with those guys. Um, and uh, that's kind of it. We'll see what happens. Awesome, man. Well, hey, Steve, it's uh, first an honor to talk to, talk to you. Sit down You're welcome. And, 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 man, it's great, <laughs> man. <It's laughs> no, thank you. No, it's dynamite, me. man. It's uh, you, a fabulous career, and I look forward to continued success, man, for you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, folks, and there you have it, the Steve Byrne interview. Sorry again about the audio. Uh, I just, like I said, going off my headphones here, so bear with me, folks. Fantastic interview, fantastic talent, Steve Byrne, everybody. Thank you, Steve, for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Make sure to stay tuned for all of our fantastic interviews, folks. We've got a ton more coming your way. Like I said, Gareth Reynolds will be next week, and uh, we've got a couple surprises coming up for you, folks. On behalf of myself... Your host, Jake Hirsch, and the entire crew at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer, Kira Williams, webmaster, Camille Argue, and of course, the wonderful Lane Argue for laying down all the acoustic tracks. Check them out, laneargueguitar.com, and be sure to visit us on Twitter, hashtag YYCP. Until next time, folks, we will see you next week.